Hello and welcome to The Scrum, the WGBH News podcast where we talk about politics from City Hall and Beacon Hill to the Beltway. I'm WGBH News reporter Adam Riley, and today we're trying to make sense of the ongoing mess at Boston Latin School, the nation's oldest public school. It's a highly selective institution that's beloved by many students and alumni, but lately it's been making headlines for all the wrong reasons. Some students of color at BLS complained that they've been subjected to racial harassment and that when they brought their concerns to the administration, the response has been unsatisfactory. That has prompted critical examinations in the local media of Boston Latin's racial makeup, which is far whiter than the rest of the Boston public school system. As the controversy around BLS has grown, some have complained that the school hasn't gotten enough support from Boston Mayor Marty Walsh and Boston School Superintendent Tommy Chang. Last week, the headmaster, Lynn Mooney Tata, and the assistant headmaster, Malcolm Flynn, both resigned. Afterward, the faculty urged the mayor and superintendent to reject those resignations, but that isn't happening. Instead, Michael Contempasis, a former Boston school superintendent who's also a Boston Latin grad, was just named interim headmaster. Whether he can quell the unrest that's royal BLS is an open question. So is whether Mayor Walsh's handling of the controversy could have an adverse political effect. Joining me now to kick those questions around are Peter Kadzis, the editor of WGBHnews.org. Peter, thanks for being here. I'm also joined by Boston Globe columnist Joan Vanaki, who just wrote a column on BLS titled, Boston Mayor Marty Walsh Needs to Oversee Culture Change at Boston Latin. Joan, thanks for making the trek out to Brighton. Nice to be here, Adam. So let me start with you, Joan. What is the culture change that you think Marty Walsh needs to lead at BLS? Well, first, let me start out by saying what I know, I know from press accounts. I've been reading the Boston Globe, reading the Boston Herald, which I believe actually broke the story. And it seems like um, there are uh, some legitimate concerns about student makeup and students who are there feeling an uncomfortable environment. And that's what I guess I mean by culture change, that Everybody who goes to school needs to feel welcome there, and apparently some don't. Based on what you know, given that you have that knowledge from secondhand accounts, or pardon me, based on what you know, is there anything about the discomfort around race at Boston Latin that is different in any way than discomfort that you'd have around race in other Boston public schools or other institutions where people gather of different backgrounds? I think the discomfort from just looking at the statistics comes from uh, what you said in the beginning. This is an anomaly, really, in Boston, in a school that in a school system that's basically dominated by Latinos and blacks. This school is predominantly white and Asian, and black students and Latinos make up a much tinier piece of it. So it's a lot more like old Boston than what we think of as new Boston and certainly what we think of it when we think about the Boston public schools. And the income disparity, the there are more haves and have-nots at Boston Latin than there are in other Boston public schools. All right. We are accustomed to looking at educational outcomes in the Boston public schools and hearing the argument that those outcomes should not be laid at the feet of the schools themselves, but that they're attributable to socioeconomic factors that are beyond the control of administrators and teachers. Could you make the same argument here with Boston Latin, that maybe the racial makeup that a lot of us have seen as potentially problematic 
is not the fault of the school, but the fault of the families in the school system. You could say that. And what I was trying to argue um, in the column, successfully or not, is that I think a piece of it is about knowing this jewel exists, getting in the pipeline. When you look at what it takes to get there, fifth and sixth grade, fifth, in fifth and sixth grade, your grades are assessed. Um, you have to take a test to get in in sixth grade. So in other words, you have to be sort of pointed towards that goal. You have to point your child towards that goal at a very early age. And it's true that income matters in terms of people's preparation and participation and, and whose kids get more attention and whose kids don't. And not just income, but, but family background. But it does seem to me that there is an obligation on the part of the school system and on administrators to try to open this wonderful thing up, not to every kid, but that every kid who does qualify to get in, who that, that if kids don't know about it, that it, there should be more of an effort to get people in the pipeline. All right, let me turn to Peter Kadzis here. Peter, I should probably mention that you went to Boston Latin way back in the day, and you also have, did you have one kid go there, two kids go there? I, I had two kids. I, I went there when it was all boys. You know, I graduated in the class of 19, yeah, 1971. Um, I had two kids go there. I've spent a lot of time with their friends. Um, I've had, geez, in 20 years, next to no involvement at the school itself. Okay. But I, I have... I have with the kids. Given that, do you believe, as Joan does, that there is uh, this culture change that Mayor Walsh needs to somehow affect? Um, I'm not sure I'd put it that way. I, I think there's work to be done at the school. Um, I'm still thinking through a lot of this. Um, I see this at the moment as a political problem. This ceased to be an education story uh, the minute the mayor got his hands around it. And the mayor and his um, superintendent of schools have turned it into a political problem. Um, but, but before I get into that, I, I, I think Joan made some valuable points. You know, 77% of the kids in the Boston public school system are poor. You know, that's worth repeating. 77% of the kids in the Boston public schools are poor. That is the big challenge. You know, our society in, in, I don't mean Boston and I don't mean Massachusetts, but I do mean the United States has, to some degree, shortchanged these people. Um, and I, I have to tell you, one thing that makes me very uncomfortable about this story is someone who got, you know, cut his teeth in pot as a junior reporter during the, the, the busing crisis in Boston. For the Boston Globe. Um, the the you know, having to reduce things to stock numbers is, I, it's an exaggeration to say it's painful, but it, it, it's not very comfortable. Um, Let me just interrupt you for a second. For listeners of ours who might be younger and might not know the history of the busing crisis, why does uh, distilling things down to stark numbers, why does that make you think of the busing battle? Well, be, because the city was, you know, uh, at war with itself. Um, by the way, not every family, not every kid, but, but the, the neighborhoods of South Boston and Charlestown had largely revolted against court-ordered busing. There was rioting in the streets. Um, you know, there was a massive paramilitary police presence in Boston. You, you know, uh, I, I think a little less than a thousand federal marshals were here. 
Um, it was pretty bad stuff. It rivaled anything that went on in the South during the civil rights. And are you saying that it was ugly in a way that simple numbers couldn't capture? I think so. Um, And I'll tell you that I I think there's a sociological issue here. Ever since then, um, you know, during Ray Flynn's mayoralty and during Tom Menino's mayoralty, everyone on every side of every issue sort of went out of their way not to racialize, if that's really a word, potentially explosive and controversial situations. Now things change. Um, you've, you've got a new generation of leadership who are younger, many of whom don't remember those days. I mean, I'm 60-something. I'm old. But I do think there's a lack of sensitivity on many people's parts about how how explosive the issue of race can be. There's also another factor going on that th- there has been a um, reawakening or a, a, a a revolution in attitudes within the black community. Um, black Lives Matter might be the, you know, the the poster child, if you will, for this revolution. So at the same time that you ha- you have a, a, a new generation of people, and and you have people black and white who will say, look, you know. African Americans have gotten the short end of the stick too long. You've got a lot of things going on. That's uh, a great point, and it's worth noting that this was uh, sparked, I think, by the the YouTube video posted by those two young African American women who wanted to draw attention to what they thought was a climate that wasn't working for them. Something Jones said is very important. As long as any kid in any school doesn't feel welcome and open, there's a problem. Joan Vanaki, hop back in. Well, I want to you said a lot of interesting things. No, there. sorry. Just, just I, I'm to start loaded. off on one um, that you mentioned early on, which I think is an incredible statistic that people don't think about a lot with Boston. 77% of, you said, of the kids in Boston public schools are poor. Yeah. It's a huge percentage, right? And in the column that I wrote, I talked to Larry DeCara, who is, I think, older than you, Peter. You know? he's, <laughs> he's, he's my neighbor. We used to ride the bus to Latin school Class together. of 1967, he told me, and president of that class. No surprise there. <laughs> he described Boston Latin School as um, a, an up escalator, a way for poor kids to make it. So um, if it represented that back then and that he still sees that as part of the mission of the school— isn't it sad that such a smaller percentage, it's not representative of the Boston public school system? So, I mean, these are, you know, questions that I don't know the answer to. Were poor kids back then smarter? Did they have more supportive families that could, you know, position them and get them towards Boston Latin? Or again, is there just kind of a failure on the part of the school system and the administration to just sort of target kids, get them in the pipeline, and try to give them a chance to get on that up escalator? Well, I I would say a a couple of things. One, I, I think Larry may exaggerate a bit the extension to which the school well, the school definitely boosted and gave poor kids a chance, but the school was was very middle class when I was there, and I think it's very middle class today. I mean, I was from a working class family. Now, in those days, those distinctions didn't really matter. It was, what did your family aspire to? But I remember quite, um, you know, readily remembering that so many of the kids around me 
especially even then from West Roxbury, you know, had more money than my family. And I was also aware that my working class family had more money than some of some of the other kids. But, but Larry's directionally correct. It, it's worth noting, though, that let me do the very thing that makes me uncomfortable. But I'll say, look, the ethnic breakdown, the racial and ethnic breakdown of the city is it's 47 percent white, 24 percent black, 17 percent Latino and 9 percent Asian. The breakdown at Boston Latin School is 47% white, 9% black, 12% Latino, and 29% Asian. I would say in those numbers is the political story that many leaders in the black community are um, concerned that, you, you know, there are fewer black and Latino students than there are, forget about white, Asian. And yeah. I'll tell you, I, I think there is, if if Mike Contempasas doesn't get this situation under control, I think there is a very real chance of, you know, extreme tension developing between the, the black and the Asian community. Joan Vanaki, I think you might have been headed toward weighing in on Peter's uh, statement that this has now become a political story rather than an education story. Whether you were going in that direction or not, what do, what do you think of Peter's take there? Well, I think it's a political story and an educational story because I do believe that, that there are things, I mean, uh, that that need to be addressed from an education standpoint in the school. But from a political perspective, it's been a pretty much of a disaster for Mayor Walsh, right? Why do you say that? Well, you know, from the start, he just kind of, he, he seemed to be slow on the uptake about what was happening there. When it broke in the Herald on Martin after Martin Luther King Jr. Day, based on that fam- infamous YouTube video, um, it, it, I guess people underestimate or still don't understand the power of social media. And back in the day, um, the story, you know, it would have gone nowhere, right? It would have taken who knows when for those two young women to contact a reporter who was interested enough to follow them up and write it and get an editor to think it was a story and play it on page one or even on Metro Front using the parlance of the old, <laughs> of old media. Um, but they put it out. Uh, reporter saw it. The Herald went with it. Um, and it just seemed like the city was really slow to understand that there was something real happening here that they had to address. Well, I can't resist noting that the mayor has been slow before to recognize the power of social media to shape public perception. Olympics, right? He called it and then he disparaged it as 12 people, on, people Twitter, on Twitter, 10 yeah. people on Twitter. So this this was two young students with <laughs> YouTube, so he probably thought even less of it. And right, let's so, not forget IndyCar Boston, which have a huge social media So the story begins to play out. Clearly, um, there are some activists in the black community who seize upon this and push the story. The Herald continues reporting. The Globe picks it up. The story is still getting headlines. um, And the mayor seemed to be torn between two sides. He clearly, um, he couldn't couldn't decide whether he was going to put his support behind the headmaster um, or if he was going to do what the activists wanted, which was to demand that she leave. Um, in the end, she left. It's unclear if they say that it was totally her decision, but clearly she felt a lack of support from the administration. And he ends up pleasing no one. And now he's caught in this bind, right, where he has angered two important constituencies. And 
as as you point out, you know, the, the black activists who now uh, could set up a real problem with the Asian community in Boston. Yeah, and, and and I'll tell you, it's just not white versus black in the school. I think perhaps outside the school that may be the case. Um, and you know that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, there was a, a Pew study released yesterday or the day before, but very recently, you know, which in in the Pew's Pew Foundation's very serious and sort of boring way pointed out, you know, that there's a wide disparity in the way black Americans and white Americans look at everything from police brutality to economic inequality. So we're seeing a national story played out here. And um, I I think the mayor didn't have the historical and political imagination to grasp the larger significance. And given that the school superintendent is an outsider, so to speak, from the West Coast, who is Asian, I think that complicates the story. And that hasn't really come out. I mean, I don't mean to be politically or insensitive to say that. He's an Asian American from California. And I'd just like to throw something out. I think that it's really interesting... um, Tell me if I'm wrong on this, but the city council has really been kind of absent from this controversy. Well, they know, you know, when was the last time you saw a profiling courage coming from the Boston City Council? So I we mean, do have councilors of color, and we do have a president of the city council who is an Asian American woman, and it's just kind of interesting. Their voices really haven't been heard in this. For well, what it's T- worth, and this is just a little detail I was Tito guest Jackson, hosting. we heard a lot from. We did. I was guest hosting Greater Boston last week when Jim Browdy was out, and we tried to get both Councillor Jackson and Councillor O'Malley on to talk about this issue. Councillor Jackson's office said he had an extremely busy day. The schedule as described to me did sound super busy. And Councillor O'Malley, uh, I think, did not want to be on with other guests. He wanted to make a solo appearance. I would have loved to have them both just selfishly as as the guest host. So, Peter, sorry. Well, did Joan raised an inconvenient fact for the mayor. I seem to do that a lot. <laughs> well, again, this is my looking at this as a political story. And again, you're right, it is both, but I'm, I'm going to stick to my political guns, at least for this part. Let's take a look at the two big nationwide searches that the Walsh administration has run. You know, um, the first was for uh, the superintendent of the schools. They used a search firm called Hazard Young uh, Atea, I think. Hazard Young and Associates. Um, it's an interesting search firm because at the time I looked into it, and it's, it, it's a firm with a track record for recommending almost exclusively male finalists in fields where women predominate, which... It's been a long time since anyone's accused me of being a sensitive feminist, but if that fact hit me over the head, I wonder who was asleep at the switch at City Hall. Let's not forget that 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 search was, you know, I would say a disaster. Let's be kind and say it wasn't all that it could be. The 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 candidate that appeared to have City Hall's backing, although the the, the mayor's office vociferously and personally denied this to me, so I feel it's important to say that, you know, was Guadalupe Guerrero, who basically was bounced from Harvard School of Education. That's a school, anyone will tell you, Harvard's a really impressive name, but getting kicked out of the Harvard School of Education really takes some training. 
prying. Okay, so they get Tommy Chang. And by the way, Chang appears, you know, at the time to be a nice guy. I, I thought then and I think now that he's out of his league. And a number of people at the time said Boston had not gotten the, you know, the superstar that it, it should have gotten. That's all well and good. Let's look at the Boston Public Library. Same search firm. They come up with this time there were two women and a guy, David Leonard, well, got it. The two, the two other finalists withdrew, one after she got the job. Um, it's interesting that David Leonard, the, the very, very capable acting head um, uh, uh, of, of the library, was, if my information's correct, and it's really, really good, was the, 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 the city hall was less than enamored of him because the guy knew too much about how the city ran. But whether I'm right or wrong about that, you've got two big searches, both, as the British would say, since this is the home of Masterpiece Theatre, came a cropper. Very nice. Right. Well, um, it's interesting that you bring up the BPL because several people um, that I've spoken to say that what happens, what is happening with at Boston Latin School, particularly with how Walsh dealt with the headmaster, is very reminds him of what happened with the BPL and Amy Ryan, the um, CEO or president, president that ended president, up president yeah. who ended up leaving, who lost a couple valuable items that were later found. Remember when we right. got together, by the way, right, at the library right, and talked right, about that, and right. then we they were ran escorted us out, out of the there. courtyard. Right. Yeah, that was right. great. That was fun. Um, right, that he couldn't he couldn't sort of decide what he wanted to do. And that he kind of left her hanging and twisting in the wind, and then she eventually up and left. Um, and at the same, a version of that has happened here. Well, what's really interesting is you've got pro-labor Marty Walsh. And I have no doubt that he's pro-labor. But l- let's compare and contrast how he handled um, uh, the, the day he went to Boston Latin School to talk to the teachers, which I think was a smart move. Unfortunately, it did it. It did not work out well. He got a lot of pushback. I mean, describe my, some of what happened, by the way, because well, I wasn't I, there. I was sitting like upstairs was... in the newsroom, and I'm wondering what's going on. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me. I said, "Wait a second. Um, I have the cell phones from a number of teachers because I've been. I I knew at some point we'd be doing a scrum about this, and I've been reporting on it. So I texted one and said, uh, "How's it going?" text back not well are things tense excruciating i mean i i kept texting a number of different teachers in the room uh there were pauses from when i'm getting back and you know the mayor's losing his temper mayor's yelling um uh let's just say it didn't go well by the way i don't see anything wrong with yelling in this but you know my point was, and then we had the the faculty standing behind the mayor. Well, after, go ahead. here's what happens: is uh, the mayor and Chang are organizing the faculty members, you, you know, to come outside and stand behind the mayor. Um, the faculty members get out there and spontaneously desert the mayor. Uh, the, the thing that's interesting, though, is the very next day when the parents had a meeting. Um, and I, I can. I wish this was TV. I, I have the, I have the memo right here that someone leaked to me from the the Boston Teachers Union representative, telling people um, that they would be in violation. You know, it's a sort of. I'm sorry to tell my colleagues this, but I've been told 
you know, that if there's a, um, that if you go outside, we're in violation of the contract. So in other words, the day before when it suited the mayor's purpose, the pro-labor mayor would wanted the teachers to come out and back them up. Gotcha. The next day, when it didn't suit his purpose, they were forbidden. Now, by the way, this is politics as usual. I'm not as outraged as I'm trying to appear. It seemed like there was a really bad lack of advance work. To sort of know, to be able to pick up on the tenor and that the teachers might do that and that the, there was this contingent of parents who well, were just so unhappy. Nobody had really done the homework of trying to figure out what was the mood in the aftermath of what had just happened. Well, and that you could said, be in part. She said the magic word, advance work, which just prompted another thing. <laughs> One day, the mayor showed up unannounced at Boston Latin School. Now, listen, the mayor thought it had been arranged that he would be there. If my information is correct, Lynn Mooney Taylor wasn't there. She was downtown, uh, what we used to call downtown. She was meeting with, you know, her bosses to talk about the situation at the school. So she was at Court Street? Well, what used to be Court Street, that's now the bowling building. Ah, right. Now you're almost as old as me. (laughs) But so the mayor throws a nutty in the, 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 the person who's the... Uh, object of the mayor Walsh's nutty was Malcolm Flynn. Now I tried to get the Malcolm, associate, uh, associate or assistant, uh, assistant headmaster. headmaster. I tried to get Flynn to talk about it, and he emailed me back that he's been forbidden to talk to the press. And believe me, I, I said I wasn't going to reminisce. Malcolm Flynn <laughs> was a young English teacher when I was a student there. Malcolm Flynn has got this curious reputation. He's in effect the dean of discipline there. But most of the kids seem to love him. I mean, how you pull that off is beyond me. But so the mayor throws a nutty. Um, it was advance work. They, they, or the lack thereof. Or the lack thereof. Now, but all of this doesn't matter for the mayor. He's got more than a million dollars in the bank. There's no one who's going to run against him. Joan, is Peter right about that, that this ultimately is a non-issue because he is a unbeatable incumbent? I'm not sure. I mean, this, it's clear. That, I mean, at the moment, there isn't a um, candidate on the horizon. But I think people are really kind of looking at a series of things that happened with Marty Walsh. And on one hand, his not only does he have money, the polling is very positive, as the uh, Walsh people are happy to tell you. Although, let me ask you, when's the last time we saw actual independent numbers? Because there was that... These are internal polls, No, right? these in, I have to say, I suspect the same person who probably leaked <laughs> the information about Lynn Mooney Taylor to... You know, the, the Herald Globe. once and the Globe another time, I suspect, didn't leak, but gave me the internal polling. And it's very respectable. It's on leatherhead. It, it, it you know, it shows that the mayor's pretty popular, by the, by especially the way, among African-Americans. Joan, I, will, I swear I'll get right back to you. But I got to ask Peter, because if, if I were doing this with a non-colleague, I'd ask this question. Can we name the name of the individual who leaked some no, information? I can't. Because I'm not sure. I'm being snide when I say I suspect it's the same person. It was worth a try. It right. was. Um, well, we always would, we go to jail for our sources. So, Joan, you were saying. Whether they deserve it or not. <laughs> so, good what internal I, what numbers. I'm saying, what I'm saying is it, the, he seems like he has good internal numbers. He seems to be raising lots of money. There's no one uh, declaring that they're going to run for mayor. Um, and I guess if I had a bet, I would I would agree with Peter that he's going to be unopposed and he will get another term. On the other hand, it just feels like there are 
fires burning in different spots. There, I keep on dropping things here. I'm using my hands too much. You're going to cut all this out. Um, <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I know. Um, he's got the ongoing investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office into labor and his and City Hall machinations. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got things like the Olympics that didn't get off the ground, an Indy car that didn't get off the ground. Um, and now, actually, I mean, I think more serious to his leadership, really, is what happens with Boston Latin. Because it is a story that's bigger than the schools. And as you said, Peter, earlier, it is a throwback to something that I think a lot of people thought was over. The whole idea of, of race and opportunity and access and how um, that can just, it just is a throwback to some really ugly times and thoughts. Yeah, and see, I, I, I think, look, the incidents, you know, the lynching incident where uh, it, it, the newspapers say, and I'll, I'll follow this, I, I, you know, I'll follow the protocol, um, uh, a non-white student threatened to lynch a, a, a black student. Um, I'm not saying that per se happens all the time, but it happens at other schools too. Um, by the way, it is unacceptable. It you, you know the, but um, to allow this to be so politicized shows to me a, a lack of imagination. Um, she's a kid. Um, you mean You're talking about the girl who was who who someone threatened to lynch? Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying. I, I I'm trying not to. I, I think her, her essential story has been blown out of proportion. But saying that doesn't mean that she doesn't have the right to feel the way she did. What, what do you? I, I'm confused when you say it's been politicized. What do you mean? That it should have just been handled internally? Um. It should have been handled internally, and I don't. And the 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 city's own review said it wasn't handled properly. Again, there was there are unreported circumstances. The circumstances were that when this happened, um, Malcolm Flynn, who would normally have dealt with this, um, was on um, compassionate leave because his son had died. Another assistant headmaster was delegated to deal with it. That assistant headmaster happened to be an African-American woman, also a graduate of the school. That person did not notify um, either parent, the, 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 the person who, who made the nasty threat or the young lady who was threatened herself. Interestingly enough, the mother of the young lady who was threatened went to Latin school herself with the assistant headmaster. Mm. I bring all this out just to say that there's a lot of real Boston right. texture and into if, this. And I, you know details that I don't know. And hearing that, I'm thinking that then what the mayor should be doing is saying what you just, you know, thinking, processing all that information and publicly saying, we've got some issues here. I trust the headmaster of Boston Latin School to handle it. And let's leave them to work it out, and we'll report back later. Instead, he couldn't pick a side. And I think ultimately it unraveled to what we see now. Yeah, I I think you're right, and I think that's the generous reading of it. I tend towards a less generous reading where I think the mayor 
uh, out of real calculation, was talking out of both sides of his mouth, saying he supported uh, Lynn Mooney Tater in public, but in private being less than supportive, giving her in private the Amy Ryan treatment, if you will. As you guys talk about the mayor's handling of this and connect it with other bumps in the road, although that sounds almost glib, over the course of his tenure as mayor, it makes me wonder how much he is enjoying the job. And I don't know, you know, when I came here, Tom Menino was mayor when I moved here in the the mid-90s. I don't know what Menino's first years were like, but as we talk about all this, I find myself wondering, well, let's say Hillary Clinton is elected president. Let's say that she decides to name Marty Walsh ambassador to Ireland, for example. Is that something he would go for? Does he like having this job? I know you're, and and there's an element of, you know, uh, sort of inside game speculation there. But my bigger question is, does he like this job? Does he like to be mayor? From all accounts, he seems to have loved it, maybe up until this point. I mean, it seemed like it was a dream come true. And And that it was was one of these people that he wanted to be mayor. People didn't think he could be mayor. He is mayor, and he seems to really enjoy everything that, that goes with it. Um, and to to connect it to Menino, I mean, Menino, after 20 years, um, we think of him as you know, this this huge, big figure, unassailable, people beloved. Um, avuncular. Avuncular, loved and feared, if you could put those two things together. But I should remember, but I don't remember, but I think the first couple of years were probably he was seen as a as a pretender to the throne, the accidental mayor in some regards. He was appointed because Flynn went off to be ambassador. Because he had the job, he got elected. Um, I think there was there to was the some Vatican skepticism. There was skepticism. Could he, you know, was he up to the job? He was no Kevin White. Um, <laughs> all of that stuff. He was he was sort of seen as rough around the edges, and then he grew into this larger than life figure. Um, so I, I don't think it's really fair at all to compare Walsh to Menino at 20 years to Walsh. The first couple of years, he was a legislator, not an executive. There is a learning curve. I, I, I not I think, Joan is right. It, my recollection is that it took Menino about six years. It wasn't until midway through his second full elected term that it all clicked. I mean, it's a big job. It's a complicated job. All right, closing question for you two. Let's say that Michael Contempasis comes in and is able, with his knowledge of Boston Latin and with his diplomatic savvy, to uh, take down the temperature, to give voice to people who are aggrieved, to, to move the school towards some sort of healing, if that doesn't sound too hokey or cliched. Let's suppose he does all that. And then the U.S. Attorney's Office announces that they are bringing federal charges involving uh, allegations of racism at Boston Latin. Does this blow up then into something even bigger than what we've seen so far? Hmm. Jeez, nothing like an easy question. Um, well, it it blows up again. I mean, th- there's no... You know, I all of a sudden I understand why politicians say I don't want to speculate or I don't do hypotheticals. I mean, I'll move in advance and try to dismiss whatever the U.S. attorney says by let's not forget that the U.S. attorney drove a, a, a young Harvard MIT researcher to suicide. Aaron Schwartz. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the Department of Justice. Well, 
Um, I don't like to speculate either, but I would say, yes, it becomes a big story, not only in Boston, but then it gets even more national headlines. And the the national media loves the and it buys you know, old into Boston the old it as... buys into the old Boston it buys into this idea that this city that is a very different place still has these old tensions and conflicts. In in if it does say that, I think the best thing is for leave it to naysayers like me to niggle with the the U.S. Attorney's Office. Just embrace the report and say. If this is what the Justice Department's found, we may or may not agree, but we are going to work to change ourselves. Boston got out of a much tougher spot after busing. Ironically, by Ray Flynn, who was someone opposed to it, it, we're nowhere near that same spot. It it can be done again. Um, I think it threatens to go there, but the city's full of people of goodwill. Joan, oh, sorry, Peter. No, I think the city's full of people of goodwill, not all of whom agree with each other. And I I don't know, I've stayed living in the city, you know, my whole life, except when I lived in Providence in New York City. But I don't know why I think Boston would be, but if there is a negative report, Boston should embrace it and work to turn it around. Joan, last word to you. Uh, Advice for Mayor Walsh as he seeks to transform the culture of BLS and the way you think it should be changed. Well, two things. Um, I agree with what Larry DeCara told me, that the next headmaster should know the school and know the city. So I would advise against one of those nationwide searches. (laughs) (laughs) And um, Peter, you mentioned Ray Flynn. He actually might be a good person to talk to about this because he did find a way to bring the city together, and he had a real sensitivity to these issues. And this isn't as big or as uh, as back then, but it could use um, a, a deft touch, I think. Joan, could I make a suggestion? You may have a column in that. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of The Scrum. Boston Globe columnist Joan Vernacki, thank you very much for coming in. You were terrific. Nice to be here. And Peter Kadzis, thanks for walking down from the second floor yeah. with me. <laughs> And, of course, thanks to all of you for listening. By the way, if you've gotten this far, you're probably someone who takes an intense, maybe even an unhealthy interest in local and national politics. So we would love to hear from you, whether it's your take on the Boston Latin situation or maybe an idea for another episode. You can even nominate yourself as a guest. And while I can't make any promises, I can say that all such suggestions will be taken seriously by the Scrum Brain Trust. Me, Peter Kadzis, and our producer, Jason Tureski. Anyway, whatever your purpose, you should email us at scrum at wgbh.org. Or find us on Twitter. I'm at Riley Adam, and Peter is at Kadzis. Joan, what's your Twitter handle? Um, at underscore Joan Brown. Okay, and for people who always you know, get mixed up about N's and C's, that's V-E-N-N-O-C-H-I, right? V is in Victor. Fabulous. Yes. <laughs> As always, you can find back episodes online at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. You can also find us on iTunes and on podcatchers like Stitcher and SoundCloud. Our engineer was John Parker, and I am Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.